brought to you from the badlands of texas you're listening you're watching midnight radio i'm your host jerry adams i'd like to thank our executive producer lady lisa for executive producing the show if you'd like to become a executive producer of the show any donation twenty dollars or more will give you that executive producer position you can use our cash app cash app dollar sign midnight radio 101 or you can use the give thanks on youtube and anything that you give us goes to our radio station licensing. So thank you very much. We're, we have a dream here that we're working on. Me and you. So thank you very much. How are you doing, Fruit Loops? I feel like it's been a long time. I think it's been less than eight hours, 12 hours since I've seen you last. You know, one of our DJs sent me a message last night, and she asked me, he goes, do you have News Nation Live? Because Ashley Banfield is off the rails right now. Uh, I started freaking out. I'm like, oh, my God. No, I don't. So what she said last night was live. They're going to take that and put it into, you know, sections. And I'm going to get that later. But what I did find, well, I think it was a gold mine. Who Ashley Banfield had on her show two days ago to give their side of the story of should... The surviving roommate of the Idaho 4 tragedy, Bethany Funk, which we've covered for two days now, should she be called in to testify to face a murderer? And who she interviewed about this is just off the rails. So if you don't mind, let's go over that right now. And Mark Class had to testify in a courtroom after his beautiful 12-year-old daughter, Polly, was abducted and raped and murdered. And he testified and he stared down Richard Allen Davis and Richard Allen Davis is on death row. And Mark Klass is live with me now from Sausalito, California. Mark, it is such an important question. What you go through as a victim's family member, you personally, uh, from the horse's mouth. I, I'd love to get your take on this Bethany Funk uh, situation and, and what she must be going through and the pressure that we are all under in a system of jurisprudence where everybody deserves a fair defense. What's your take? Well, I think it's a brutal and cruel way to get this young woman to try to testify on behalf of the person that murdered her friend and her roommates. My goodness, that poor lady, everything that she's had to go through and continues to have to go through. This is probably the defining moment of her life in many ways. And they're asking her to come into a courtroom or a hearing room and face, I assume that he'll be there, that she'll have to face this guy and give evidence on his behalf. It's bad enough, Ashley, to have to go in and face these people to begin with, to have to look in the eyes or be even in the same room within proximity of the individual that, that changed lives. I do want to say this. We talked about this last night. It just came out to where uh, Bethany... Funk's lawyer and the lawyer for Kohlberger came to an agreement where they're going to meet her in Nevada and uh, they're going to interview her there instead of her having to go there with Kohlberger in front of him testifying for him or because she has exculpatory evidence. So that's not happening now. That's the news to this. But this this is filmed the day before yesterday, so... Ruined lives and altered the course of other lives. It's, it's a very difficult thing to do. 
And Mark, you were a parent, um, you know, when this happened, you were a grown man, not to suggest mm-hmm. that, you know, your pain was any less than, than Bethany's as a, as a young woman, just in, you know, the beginning of her college career. But what was it like for you when you got up on that stand and you had to look directly at Richard Allen Davis and give your testimony? What was it? Just take me there from your perspective. Well, it, sure. It was surrealistic. I mean, certainly, again, facing this individual who, who brutally kidnapped and raped and murdered my little girl. I, I was looking at him and he, he was trying to stare me down. I, I don't understand what he thought. Maybe he thought I was a 12-year-old girl and I would be intimidated, but I kept his stare until he looked away. But it's unnerving, Ashley. You sweat. You, you feel horrible to be in the presence of, of pure this interview evil. This making me uncomfortable. To deal with these things, you know, you have to deal I spoke with evil. today after talking to your producers. I spoke today with one of the girls that was with Polly uh, that also testified at the trial. And at the time of the trial, she was about 15 years old and she had to face this guy. And she said that it was just so odd being in the courtroom that she hated being there. that She couldn't stand the presence of this guy. But she said she kept trying to look at him. She wanted to look at him, but she didn't want him to look at her. And she said that ultimately, by the time she finished her testimony, that her impression was that he refused to look at her. He was looking at the ground the whole time or looking at the table. And she was able to get those glances, but I know that it was traumatizing for her. She said it was. It was one of the more difficult things she's ever had to do. And she would never want to have to repeat doing something like that again. Mark, you have done so much um, for victims' rights in, in the years since Polly died. Would you be willing to, to help um, Bethany or Dylan uh, if, if they so needed your help? Would you be able to help them navigate some of these incredible obstacles that you face that are so unique? How would he help? I'd be happy to, of course. I mean, that's what we do with the Class Kids Foundation. Uh, our, our mission is to stop crimes against children. And we do that in a variety of ways. And certainly if it's helping somebody prepare their testimony or give them a psychological lift as they're approaching the, the having to face these characters in, in prison, I, I'd be more than happy to do that. If it would help them, absolutely. All right, I'm not going to play the whole thing, but the whole thing will be available in the show notes below the video. Sometimes you have to face evil. It's not easy, but you have to do it because if you don't, evil will beat you down. Evil will take everything you have. And sometimes you just have to stand up and say, hell no, these are your consequences. You have to do it. And it is a right of somebody to face their accuser. There's no way around that. So even Kohlberger, it is not about his rights. It is about the rights of all of us. These are constitutional rights that we bear. And even though they're uncomfortable sometimes, we have to step up and defend them. How would you like to be accused and you not be able to face your accuser? Erroneously or unerroneously? It's very important. 
Is it good? Is it kind? Is it fair? No, it's not. Those girls that died there that night, and Ethan, of course, they didn't have any rights. They didn't have any rights. But two wrongs don't make a right, especially when it comes to murder. I have an update to a story. Remember the gunman in uh, Louisville, Kentucky? Well, his parents were recently interviewed. Let's check that out right now. How often do the parents of a murderer get interviewed? They say they're awfully sorry. What would you want to say? We are so sorry. We are heartbroken. We wish we could undo it, but we know we can't. In an era of mass shootings all too frequently, theirs is a perspective we do not often hear. Lisa and Todd Sturgeon are the parents of the young man who opened fire more than two weeks ago inside Louisville's Old National Bank. What scares you about doing an interview like this? We have a concern about inadvertently being disrespectful to the families. Our heart is just shattered for, for them and what they're going through. Something like this is so complicated. But at the end of it all... Connor did this. He did. And he he did this to um, totally innocent individuals. There was no provocation, no justification, no rationalization at all. They were just trying to do their jobs, provide for their families. And they will never be the same due to his actions. And that's, if we could take it back, we would. Connor Sturgeon was a 25-year-old employee at the bank. He killed five co-workers, Joshua oh. Barrick, Thomas Elliott, Juliana Farmer, James Tutt, and Dina Eckert. Eight others were wounded, including a young policeman, Nicholas Wilt, still in critical condition after he was shot in the head. As we sit here, do you know why this happened? I don't think there's any way to know for, for sure. We know that, that Connor was struggling with some uh, mental health issues. I'm afraid that That's whatever we come up with as the cause isn't going, still isn't going to make sense. There was no clear tell. So this could happen to someone else, and we don't want that to happen. That's why you're here. That's why we're here. The Sturgeons say Connor's struggle started just a year ago. Panic attacks, anxiety, and an attempted suicide. But he was seeing a psychiatrist, a counselor, and taking medication. Things seeming to have settled until six days before the shooting. In the days leading then, up what kind to of this medication? incident, what did you notice about Connor? Was he struggling? Yes, he, he called me on um, the Tuesday before the event, and he said, well, I had a panic attack yesterday, and I, want to leave, I had to leave work. And I said, okay, well, what happened? What, what was the cause? I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I, still I, worked there. I think I should take off a while. And I said, that's, that's fine. You know, we're here to help you. Did you worry he was suicidal? 
That's also inconceivable to me. Was he was he willing go? to talk to me. He had told us before he would never do such a thing like that to us. I said, I want to see you. I had lunch with him on Wednesday. The next day. The next day. I set up an appointment with his psychiatrist. We met with the psychiatrist on Thursday. You yes. joined the meeting with the psychiatrist. In fact, Lisa intervened and insisted that it get moved up. A and... They thought we, we, we thought he was coming out. I'm not going to play the full interview, but you can get that in the links below. As the story goes, he was fired. And then after he was fired, he came in there and committed that workplace massacre. Was he fired regarding mental health issues, regarding needing time off? Maybe there's more to this story, not that. What he did can be explained, not that we know we can ever justify his reasons, but maybe we can know more about him. All right. We're never also, in this story, we're never going to understand Lori Daybell's reasoning for murdering her children. Supposedly, she thought that demons entered people and they were turned them into zombies. If somebody was a bad person. She still says she didn't do it. Uh, there's recent testimony from the pathologist that went over the bodies of how the children died and what happened to their bodies. Lori Vallow Daybell was back in court this morning for day 16 of her murder trial. She's the Rexburg mom charged with murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and grand theft in the deaths of two of her kids, J.J. and Tylee, and her husband's late wife, Tammy Daybell. News Channel 7's Shira Matsuzawa has been in court today, and she joins us live to break down what's happened so far. Shira? Yeah, you know, Doug, more graphic testimony today. FBI Special Agent Steve Daniels was back on the stand this morning, and the court saw more photos from JJ's burial site. Today, Agent Daniels says the rocks, uh, the way the rocks were placed at the site, it was clear it was deliberate. He also talked about how someone placed planks in the burial site, and that stuck out to him because that's what someone would do to prevent wildlife from getting to the hum human remains. He also went on into more detail about how they determined what they found was JJ's remains. Agent Daniels says after they found JJ, they knew Tylee had to be around there as well. He says when they found Tylee's remains, there was a big contrast. It was, quote, just a huge difference because as we've reported, Tylee's remains were melted and charred. As we've also previously reported, investigators found the remains of JJ and Tylee on Chad Daybell's property. He, of course, is Lori's fifth and current husband. This morning, Lori Vallow's uncle, Rex Connor, spoke with the media fifth as he arrived husband. at court. Wow. I hope it's not as rough as yesterday. That's tough sitting through poor Summer's uh, testimony. I'm hoping for a little bit lighter day, though, maybe some medical information, medical examiner information, and just some good, some questions answered like we hope every day. Dr. Garth Warren with the Ada County Coroner's Office took the stand next. He's a forensic pathologist, which he says is a medical doctor who tries to determine how a person died. He conducted the autopsy on JJ on June 11th in 2020 at the Ada County Court or Morgue. And he says he determined JJ's cause of death to be asphyxia by plastic bag over the head 
and duct tape over the mouth. He says there were other conditions and also other injuries that jumped out at him like scratches and bruising on JJ's body. When I stepped out of the courtroom today, right just a few minutes ago, they were showing photos um, from JJ's autopsy in regards to uh, what was seen that day, but the judge ruled that it would only be shown to the jurors rather than the public because of its graphic nature, and he deemed that inappropriate. It would also be blown up on the projector. Doug? That's harsh, um, Shira. And what's expected to happen the rest of this afternoon after that? You know, we can only presume more testimony, uh, but I did have to step out for this live shot. But our, uh, my colleague in there is Alexandra Duggan, and she's keeping an eye on that. And we'll be sure to update you coming up on the news at yeah. 4. And updating the web story we have on KTV. All right. And if that wasn't bad enough, how about the demonic murder of an Uber Eats driver by a gang member? Well, here you go. This one really catches you. Oh, what? What? It's one of those Florida man stories. St. Petersburg, Florida. A Florida man is charged with murder and other offenses in the slang and dismemberment of an Uber Eats driver who had brought food to the assailant's home. Oscar Sora Solas, Jr. 30, is charged with killing the driver during a delivery Wednesday at home in Holly, Florida. Pasco County Sheriff's said at a news conference, the remains were found at the house in trash bags and a cooler, which also contained a receipt with Saul's name on it, according to a police affidavit. This was a horrific crime of passion. This was demonic. What he did was demonic. Solis faced charges of murder while engaged in a robbery, failure to register as a convicted felon, and for a parole violation, I guess you're not allowed to murder people when out on parole, jail records show that Solis was released from an Indiana prison in January after serving four years for an assault and burglar conviction. He moved to the, floor, uh, to the Florida home about three months ago. The case comes amid several recent random shootings of people around the U.S. who approach strangers' homes, including what the hell does that have to do with this case? Nice try. Nice try. It also comes after everything else that possibly happened before it. Whoa. Now, what they should have said, this came, we reported, was it last week that there was a, a woman whose family tracked her down and rescued her when she was delivering Uber Eats, all right? Do you think they need a different policy with Uber Eats? Uh, it's dangerous, guys. Uh, what about this economy? How many people are pretty soon? Hell, I expect myself to probably have to be delivering Uber Eats. It's all right. I'll live stream while I'm doing it. I'll be uh, pretty soon. I can't, I can't. I can't find a new job here. I'm gonna be delivering Uber Eats or pizza while I'm live streaming. I'll do it all day. I don't care. There ain't no policy against it yet. Just I'm I'm live streaming just to keep myself alive. Dangerous. Uber Eats, man. Holy Moses. Just to, was it worth it? You got a free sandwich and you robbed, what, 40 bucks. Congratulations. Congratulations. All right. This shocked the sh- Schumer out of me. And uh, this goes back into the 
Obama White House. Phone number is 325-261-0892. If you'd like to comment about anything that I'm going over tonight, again, the phone number is 325-261-0892. Leave me a message and I will play it on the show. Fuji's rapper, Praz Michael, convicted in foreign influence case. What? Grammy award-winning musician has been convicted in a federal court in Washington, D.C. on 10 counts related to charges that include conspiracy, witness tampering, and failing to register as an agent of China. It was a case that spanned actions on two continents and multiple countries, a star-studded witness list, foreign intrigue, and both domestic and international influence peddling at the center, prosecutors said, was Michael, 50, a member of the 90s-era group Fuji's, whose 1996 album, The Score, remains one of the top streaming albums of all time. He later tried to reinvent himself as a businessman and humanitarian. He netted the attention of federal authorities when he waded into international and national politics. Boom. He wanted to play with the big boys, and he got played. Ultimately... Michael was convicted of conspiracy, concealment of material facts, making false entries in records, witness tampering, and serving as an unregistered agent of a foreign power. He faces a maximum penalty of 20 years in prison. A sentencing date has not yet been set. Michael, or Michelle, I think it's Michael, faced charges stemming from his relationship to Joe Lowe. A Malaysian billionaire accused of stealing $4 billion from Malaysian, a Malaysian sovereign wealth fund. Back in 2012, prosecutors said Michael used Lowe's illegal foreign money to buy seats for people at fundraisers for then-President Barack Obama. Years later, after the FBI started investigating Lowe for stealing money, Lowe wanted Michael and others to help him convince the Trump White House to go easy on Lowe. One part of that alleged scheme was to try to get Trump to send a dissident living in the U.S. back to China to curry favor with the Chinese government. Prosecutors said Michael collected about $150 million from Lowe to try to influence two U.S. president administrations. Lowe is believed to be in China. Michael stood trial alone. And in the days of testimony, the witnesses included former attorney Jeff Sessions, the top White House advisor, to former President Donald Trump and actor Leonardo DiCaprio, whose movie The Wolf of Wall Street was funded by Lowe. DiCaprio arrived at court under heavy security and testified that Lowe told him he wanted to spend 20 or $30 million to help reelect President Obama back in 2012. That testimony turned out to be pretty important since injecting foreign money into the campaign system was a key part of the case against Michael. So you mean to tell me that China money went to elect President Obama? Nobody's talking about that. They're, they're talking about Michael here. And the money was stolen that was being used. Why? This seems like an operation to me. Not only that, but there's more stories of Chinese intelligence, real Chinese intelligence, not the bullshit that Nancy Pelosi's lame ass was peddling about 
and, and Clint, uh, Hillary Clinton, who are lying about Russia and Donald Trump, but who cares about that? But this is real stuff, not getting reported. But it's okay. It's okay, right? What does it matter? Your vote doesn't really count anyway, right? All right. I've got an article from the New York Times, but I can't read it because they want me to subscribe and I'm not going to do it. And it was also about China, but moving on. Good job, New York Times. If we can't test it out. No. This shocked the hell out of me. Murder for hire plot. There you are trying to get your Dunkin' Donuts. I know somebody named Susan would really be shocked about this. Murder for hire plot in a Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru. Check this out. I want to do God's will. And he calls us to forgive. Powerful words from Alan and Carol King. Their daughter Rachel was shot and killed in a Dunkin' drive-thru in Cheltenham after a months-long plot. They say their faith is what's helping them find strength in this difficult time. I would have lost my mind two weeks ago. It's only the power of the living God keeping me. Rachel King's son was in the back seat at the time of the shooting, and her parents say he is getting support for the trauma. He said, my mommy didn't deserve to die like that. Investigators say they found the two people responsible for what they call an apparent murder for hire. I gasped when I saw those faces on the screen during the press conference. I don't, I don't know why I gasped, but it was like, here are the people. They are real. And they, they did a horrific, terrible thing. But at the end of the day, they will have to answer for it. King was a teacher at Grover Cleveland Elementary School in the Tioga section of Philadelphia. Her parents say she was passionate, funny, very caring, and loved R&B music. She was a wonderful teacher. Her parents say they are not looking back and not holding on to any anger following her death. People have asked if you knew the how, the why, the wins, you know, how important is that to you? And I've told them it's, it really isn't that important because it doesn't change the outcome. I understand. All right. That really is all there is to go to go in this story. Both suspects are being held behind bars. Jean was denied bond at her Tuesday arraignment. Alakim has been in custody since April 11th on unrelated charges and will be arraigned Thursday in the Rachel King's case. And this happened in April 27th. Check this out. Fake doctor charged for treating thousands without a medical license. Hello. There he is. What was he doing to people? Let's check this out. How did he get caught? 
This is a photo of 44-year-old Stepan Gavorkian, the to L.A. Me. County District Attorney's Office says, illegally provided medical care without a license to thousands of patients at his office in Toluca Lake. Gavorkian is facing five felony counts of practicing medicine without certification at Pathways Medical, which is an alternative medicine provider. Is this the person you've been seeing? Yes. We met two patients who told us they were never given prescription drugs, just IV drips and vitamins following some blood work. I wouldn't want to see any other doctor but, you know, this person right here. The DA's office says Gavorkian offered treatment for serious medical conditions like cancer. And they say an undercover investigator got a consultation from Gavorkian last November. Gavorkian allegedly failed to detect abnormal levels of a hormone that could have indicated medical problems. Al Petrosian says Gavorkian successfully treated his wife for a thyroid issue. On one side, so it's not a good thing. Uh, On the other side... Like, we've been blessed with his treatments. Gavorkin's attorney released a statement that reads in part, criminal charges by their very nature are unproven accusations. It's important to acknowledge that what is thought to be known or understood early on is not always the case in the end. Sometimes it is. We went to the Studio City mansion that's listed as the mailing address for Gavorkin's business. A woman who identified herself as his mother answered the door. So is is your son a doctor? He he, uh, graduated in Mexico. Yeah, he's a doctor. He's a doctor. Uh, Not in in here, but yeah, don't give me any questions, please. When we tried to clear up a few things... And this is, I don't like this, okay, because he's taking a picture. You can't touch me. Okay, then go uh, Go. In the meantime, the DA's office provided us with the working's photo to ask anyone who believes they may have been a victim to come forward. Have you seen this man? trying to they're trying to play commercial on me i'm not gonna let it happen check this out three high schoolers oh we don't like that oh that's better we like to oh yeah three high schoolers arrested after killing somebody by throwing rocks some of the top stories we were following here this morning. Three 18-year-olds right here accused of a deadly rock-throwing crime spree. Like all doing court 50s. this morning in Jefferson County. Investigators say they threw rocks at seven cars last week and killed a 20-year-old woman as she was driving. Fox 31's Jim Hooley is live at the Jefferson County Courthouse this morning. Jim, will we find out if they get any sort of bond later this morning? We should find out at the end of the hearing. We should find out something about that. But it's most likely that there will not be any bond in this case simply because of the uh, the severity uh, of these charges that are against the three teenagers now being held here in the jail overnight here in Jefferson County. And they're due in court coming up just a couple of hours. Here's the latest on the investigation. Here's what we have here for you this morning. Now, the three suspects now in custody are Joseph Koenig, Nicholas Mitch Karolczyk, and Zachary Quack. They're facing first-degree murder charges with extreme indifference, very serious charges. All are 18 years old, all are from Arvada. Investigators caught up with the teenagers by using a a high-tech investigative technique. They combed through cell phone data that pinged the suspects' phones, and that showed all three were in the locations when and where the attacks took place last week. 
Picture the number of times this occurred and the area over which it occurred. There's opportunities there for several cell phones to be involved. Law enforcement can go in, dump all those uh, towers, and then compare the numbers and see who was where, when, and match that up with the reports of cars getting hit with rocks. 20-year-old Alexa Bartel was killed when a rock was thrown through her windshield last week. Six other cars were also targeted. How big and two other rocks? drivers suffered minor injuries. All three suspects now being held this morning for the time being right now without bond. This will be an advisement hearing where they will be advised, told of the charges against them, uh, not officially being charged yet this morning. That will happen uh, down the road. But again, all three teenagers, all 18, are due in court this morning, coming up at 10 o'clock this morning. My question is this. How many dumbass criminals are getting arrested because of cell phones? You know, I thought cell phones were a bad thing. It's causing people to live, you know, with their whole lives, their whole minds focused in the palm of their hand. But there are some positives. If it wasn't for the Internet, it wasn't for cell phone technology, you probably wouldn't be watching this show, would you? So, I mean, there are some good things. I do. I do admit to that. But to me, I like uh, utilitarian aspects of the Internet and uh, technology. For instance, I don't think someone should have it on them all the time. I think they sh there's a time and place. Definitely, when you're committing a crime, it wouldn't be the place, but I'm saying maybe that's a good thing. If you're dumb enough to commit the crime, you're dumb enough to have your phone on you, and you're dumb enough to do the time. Unfortunately, those aren't the dumbest people that we're going to be talking about tonight. Check this out. This one is sick, but I haven't heard this story in any other place. I'm going to play it right here. All right, Ginger, thank you. The city of Santa Monica has approved settlements with more than 120 people claiming they were abused as children by a civilian employee of the police department. Attorneys for the alleged victims say that the city did nothing to stop the abuse. That's what blows me away. The city did nothing. Did nothing. And it had been, it'd been brought up many times. You know, we went over a story last week about one police officer that shot another one. He didn't kill him. But he was a rookie on the force, and he said he thought that the other one was going to rape him. And we could see him making advances on him in the video. And he said he went to a supervisor's police station, and they just, you know, oh, well, that's just how he is. He's not doing it. You know, it's just a joke. All right. Abuse for nearly 30 years. KTLA's Eric Spillman live in Santa Monica problem. with the details. Eric, good morning. Morning, Megan. Morning, Chris. No city in the U.S. has ever paid out this amount of money, this much money, to the victims of one predator. But Eric Uller did an incredible amount of damage, molesting as many as 200 boys. They are still suffering. We spoke to one of his victims. I've tried committing suicide. I've made a hell of a lot of bad choices in life. Under no circumstances, any any kid should be victimized like this. This man says when he was just 12 years old, Eric Uller befriended him. Uller was a Santa Monica police dispatcher who volunteered at the city's Police Activities League. He wasn't a cop, but he pretended to be one, impressing boys by driving around in a Chevy Suburban equipped with a police radio. He had a badge and sometimes displayed a gun. And over the years, beginning as early as 1989, he molested and raped dozens of children, many of them disadvantaged boys whose parents were in this country without papers. Some of the victims were just eight years old. He would take them to his father's medical office and sexually abuse them. 
Wow. Eric Oler would pick up kids after basketball games or baseball games, and he'd take them to go get food. The city of Santa Monica should have never allowed Eric Oler to be picking up kids. He told many of the victims that if you want to participate in a sport, that you have to get a physical. A lot of these kids didn't know what a physical was. And he would then make them undress, and he sodomized many of these kids in his dad's medical office. People had suspicions about Uller. He was taking boys on weekend trips and inviting them over to his house. But he wasn't arrested until 2018. He was charged with numerous counts of molesting boys, and then he killed himself a few months later. This week, Santa Monica City Council agreed to pay more than $122 million to settle the lawsuits of 200 victims, bringing the total payout to almost $230 million. But there will always be questions. Why was he allowed to victimize kids for so long? One One of our victim clients told two police officers at the Santa Monica PD at the Powell premise that Eric Oler was doing bad things to little boys. Police officers at the Powell program didn't go to the the police chief and do an investigation. They threatened the boys. You can't let a monster like this be in the position that he was. Santa Monica's mayor says uh, this is the end to a sad chapter in the city's history. She says the city now does much more rigorous screening of any. And they're still not going to catch everything. And the reason I'm playing this is because I want you to know, trust nobody. Nobody. Don't allow any teacher at school. Here, here in Texas, they have something called corporal punishment. Where they think it's their duty to hit your child with a board if they don't do something, if they don't learn how to be a good little slave and do exactly what they're told. No. What they give my child, they're going to get back. Any correction of my child is going to be done by me. Do not trust anybody in authority with your child. I'm not going to say your child's not going to be in a position to have people of authority over them, but I'm saying you should be there too. You should be in there in some aspect, in some regard. Unfortunately, these were underprivileged kids, which didn't have stronger family structures, you know, and also beyond that, sometimes dad has to go to work. That's the way this life is. It's going to get increasingly worse. You know, you heard about Don Lemon getting fired. You heard about, who was it that got fired from Fox? Tucker Carlson getting fired. Believe me, that was all about money, saving money from paying those guys. That's all it was. It's going to get worse. Now, this is a story we went over before about Brian Walsh, who murdered his wife, Anna Walsh. She was in court today. He was denied bail after prosecutors said he stood to gain $2.7 million from the murder of his wife. After this I got big dreams. 
So we know why he murdered her just for money. Just for money. This is from CNN. They're having some financial difficulties right now. After firing the lemon. The racist on lemon. Level of detail as prosecutors laid out their case against Brian Walsh charging him with murdering his wife, Anna. We learn new details about just the long litany of Google searches they say he made about how to dismember a body, how to dispose of a body, what happens to parts of a body how after does formaldehyde work? And then beyond that, for the first time, we learned information about their DNA and scientific uh, investigation. Let's get right to that. Defense attorney Misty uh, Maris is with us and CNN chief law enforcement and intelligence analyst John Miller back with us right now. Uh, John, first to you. You have the Google searches and you have this DNA found in some of the bags disposed of by Brian Walsh. Didn't have body parts, but it had blood, consistent DNA with that of Anna Where did Walsh. the parts go? So when, if you take this in total... We are far beyond the standard of, is there probable cause to bring a charge or to hold the defendant? A reasonable now, doubt. all of this will have to be proven in court. We have to say, you know, the mandatory, he's innocent until proven guilty. But what prosecutors laid out today was an incredible trail of, of means, of motive, of actions, um, affirmative steps taken from the Google searches, which were basically a, a blueprint of questions, you know, and things he planned to do and allegedly did. But the key is, if you've got biological material in the basement of the house, if you have the murder kit, which is the tools that were purchased, and the Tyvek suits and the things to carry that out, and then on the other end of the garbage dump, after taking it to the garbage by his mother's house, the dump where that garbage goes to be processed, you find the back end of that. It is highly suggestive, evidentiary-wise, that there was a murder, that there was a body, that it was moved and disposed of. Misty, if I could get you Looks to like weigh in, because smiling. we've been questioning how prosecutors could weigh a murder charge without a body. And now we've got a treasure trove of evidence from them, as John laid out some of these. I'm going to leave that right there. I'm going to put the link in the show notes so you can check it out. Watch the whole thing on your own if you're so interested. I've got one more story for you. One more. If you'd like to call me and talk about any of these, well, I'm not going to talk to you, but you can leave me a message at 325-261-0892. That is 325-261-0892. Now, prosecutors allege Pentagon link suspect accessed hundreds of classified documents. Today, we also found out that his commanders are in trouble over this. About Jack Teixeira, the young man charged with leaking highly classified U.S. intelligence documents while working for the Air National Guard in Massachusetts. Officials are now sharing photos which they say proves he tried to destroy evidence. It comes as we learn the leaders of his Air Force unit have now been suspended. ABC's Lindsay Watts is here now with more. Lindsay, good morning. Good morning, Andrew. We're getting a look at those new images, some from inside the suspect's room. That's where federal investigators say they found an arsenal of weapons, and it's part of why they want to keep Jack Tejera behind bars. 
This morning, disturbing revelations about the man accused of leaking top-secret military documents online. These new photos show what federal investigators found inside Jack Tejera's room. The Justice Department says that includes rifles, AR and AK-style weapons, and a bazooka. Prosecutors say Tejera... All right, just so everybody's listening, and I'm not a gun nut, and I don't have a million guns, although I am here in Texas where you don't even have to have a license to buy and carry and have a gun. An AR style, and read my lips, an AR style gun is not an AR-15. It is a, it looks like an assault weapon. It is not an assault weapon. It's an AR style. It's kind of like if I, you can take a Volkswagen bug frame and you can put a kit on it, you know, and make it look like a Lamborghini. That is a style Looks like a Lamborghini. It is not a Lamborghini Diablo. That is what the difference is. It's just what it looks like. So, I mean, I'm not trying to defend this guy, but just the way they try to bump up stories, you know, all the time just bothers me. You know, there's a big difference between the truth and what's being said in just about all these news organizations regularly made comments about violence and mass murder using his government computer to research mass shootings photos also show a smashed wow. tablet laptop and other devices found inside a dumpster in a new filing the doj says tajera is a danger to the public and they want to keep him behind bars Sounds until like trial it. fallout from the leak is ongoing abc news has learned the air force suspended two commanders in the military unit where tajera worked the air force calls the suspensions temporary as the investigation continues 21-year-old Tejera worked as a computer technician with the Massachusetts Air National Guard. Investigators say he started posting classified material to the online forum Discord late last year. He's facing 25 years in prison. The system failed. This is a major failure. Some people need to be fired over this. Tejera had high-level, top-secret clearance, which the Pentagon has said was needed to do his job. But lawmakers from oh. both sides of the aisle are demanding more answers. We need to know the facts. We need to know uh, who this airman was, why he felt he had the authority or ability to show off confidential documents, secret documents to his friends. Tadera has a detention hearing in Math. By the way, the United States was doing illegal things, war crimes. Hello. Let's talk about that, right? Just saying. Massachusetts later today. Prosecutors expected to story, argue though, that he may still have access to classified documents and nations hostile to the U.S. could help him escape if he is freed before trial. Now attorneys are asking for the court hearing for the 21-year-old Air National Guardsman suspect mm. in the massive military document leak to be postponed. Jack Teixeira is charged with unauthorized retention and transmission of national defense There's information an and willful retention of classified documents, which collectively carry a maximum of 15 years in prison. ABC's Wit Johnson is live outside federal court in Boston for us with the latest. And Wit, this just happened. This is a delay. Do we know why? 
Exactly, Phil. We're just getting this information right now, but what we understand from sources is that both sides, the defense and the prosecution, the federal government, uh, made this court filing requesting the delay for approximately two weeks. Teixeira's team says that they need more time to be able to see what the government's case is against him. So that information just coming That's in, it hasn't yet hit the docket in terms of the judge's order. Um, so we don't know officially yet if the judge... All right, I'm going to leave that right there. This is a conversation we need to have nationally about how what he leaked was true information about the government, the Biden White House doing illegal things in um, Ukraine. All right. It's illegal for U.S. military troops to be on the ground there in Ukraine. All right. Without declaring an act of war. Yet that's what was going on. So what? Who cares? Anything goes now. We'll just shut up. We're slaves. I'd like to thank you for tuning in, everybody. I appreciate the hell out of it. Always enjoy spending time with you. Fruit Loops, going over these stories that make my mind explode. I'll have more for you next time I have more for you. If you'd like to become a member, you can do that. We have three. If you'd just like to support, we have Midnight Supporter. If you'd like to join our Discord and see what goes on behind the scenes, that is $4.99 and that is a Midnighter. If you want to know how to write, I will teach you how to write. That is Midnight Writer. That is $9.99 a month. Cancel at any time. Thank you very much. I'll be back next time. And until next time, until next time, all my best.